Welcome to the Human Performance Podcast. Here we talk about everything to do with human performance and how leaders and organizations can get the best out of themselves and their people. I'm your host, Alex Young. My guest on the podcast this week is Jonathan Pritchard. Jonathan is a highly sought after consultant and speaker specializing in the area of applied psychology and life and business. He's the founder of the international consulting company, The Hellstrom Group, which has trained teams to improve their sales, negotiation and presentation skills on six of the seven continents. His expertise comes from his background traveling the world as a mentalist, a unique type of entertainer specializing in mind reading tricks. Jonathan and I discuss how you can improve your negotiation and presentation skills and how you can apply psychology in life and business. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Just doing way too well, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's uh, great to have you on. Um, and uh, I'm very excited about this whole conversation. Um, but before I sort of jump in with all my questions, it'd be great if you could just uh, give the listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, let's see. Uh, my name is Jonathan Pritchard, and I am a corporate consultant specializing in sales, negotiation, communication skills, training, helping companies get more leads at trade shows, all that kind of fun stuff. But I got into the corporate training world by virtue of being a world-touring mind-reader mentalist performer. Uh, I've performed in Vegas, uh, been out for America's Got Talent, some TV shows, uh, entertained our troops stationed overseas. Uh, so I've, I've had a, a lot of fun, fun experiences. And all of that experience helps uh, kind of inform all of my corporate training work, too. It's absolutely fascinating. And and what was it that, um, I mean, being being a, a mentalist and um, doing tours and things like that, how did you go from, you know, practicing as a 13-year-old? Um, how, how did you sort of develop those skills? Because I, I guess it's, it's like you have to really take ownership of them to yourself, right? Right. And it, it really is a self-directed study kind of thing. <laughs> and and you just have to have this this peculiar temperament to enjoy reading books for hours and then being alone for days on end, practicing some sleight of hand moves that will never be seen by anybody on the planet. Like that is a very weird way to spend your time. But to me, that was super interesting. And, and then once you kind of achieve a certain level of competence, what was interesting to me is why are magic tricks even possible in the first place? Not necessarily how this trick works. What is the exact method for this particular effect? But why is it that magic shows are a form of entertainment that human beings can experience? Like it, it seems normal because we've all been through it, but that is really weird, man. Like you can't you can't do a magic trick for a computer, right? So there there are some really weird cognitive process hiccups that are baked into our hardware because of the practical limitations of time, space, and energy. So we take for granted almost everything for almost all day, every day. You assume that the sidewalk is going to be solid. You assume that the door isn't just going to fly off its hinges. There are so many peculiar things that could happen but haven't. So it's, it's reasonable to expect that they're not going to until a magician or a mentalist like me starts to mess with those processes. 
and and those are fundamental human processes. Magic works no matter where you grew up in the world. So it's a fundamental pre-cultural cognitive skill that once you understand how the mind works and interacts with fundamental reality, then that informs your ability to understand, okay, how is this person understanding me in the context of this negotiation? What assumptions do they have? How do I figure out what those assumptions are? Once I know what those assumptions are, how can I frame my communication in terms that they will be able to relate with? And so, so these insights give you leverage anywhere that there's another human being involved in your life. And oh yeah, you're always where you are. So this, this will help you even if you aren't in a direct uh, client-facing role or actively engaged in negotiations. You're still talking to yourself all day long every day. And it, it's kind of surprising to be aware of how it is that you speak to yourself if you've never really done the work to, to recognize it. It's, it's really interesting and I, I think um, especially for, for someone like yourself where you're doing stage-based um, you know, entertainment, um, how, how did you kind of, I guess, you know, link the psychology elements to, to when you're dealing with multiple people or multiple individuals? How, how did you go about sort of learning that side of the craft? Part of it was a slow development of practicing on my parents who were saints the long suffering saints, because I, I would show them a new trick basically every day and like, Hey, pick a card. I'm like Jonathan, I've seen this one. No, no, this is a different one. I promise. So it, so it was through their patience and encouragement of just sitting through it and then starting to do tricks for my group of friends. And then that became kind of the main differentiator in high school. It was like, Oh yeah, Jonathan, he's, he's the guy that does the, the magic tricks. Right. And then in high school, I got interested in the mind reading tricks because those always seemed to be the most interesting for my audience. Even if it's just two or three people, they're just like, wait, okay, so you found my card. That's nice. But how did you know what street I grew up on? Like, what? So that was really the time where I focused in on that particular niche in the the magic umbrella world. And in in college, I started doing dorm parties and I, I started doing walk around mind reading at a restaurant, the like the the nice Italian place in town, that that kind of thing. And it just the audience size just gets bigger and bigger. And then people would see me at that restaurant and then go, hey, do you do parties? I'm like, sure do. So then I get booked for like Grandma Esther's 73rd birthday. And then I come in and and I'm now entertaining adults who are they, – they've got jobs themselves, and they go, man, that's really cool. But would you be able to come in and, and do that? We have sales meetings, and uh, you know this would be kind of interesting to liven up the place. And, and that was kind of the, the path forward. And I mean, I'm, this just absolutely fascinates me because um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate for obviously with what we do um, with sort of soft skills training and, and human performance in general. And um, we've had a number of guests on from backgrounds in, in sales and leadership. Um, how, how do you sort of bridge that gap between, you know, going from what you were doing on the entertainment side where you're sort of being invited in um, to then it actually like affecting uh, businesses and applying that sort of psychology understanding to, to their business functions? 
part of part of that slow dawning realization happened after I'd already been touring for about eight, nine years. And a big part of it is being an entertainer at colleges. So the college has an entertainment budget. They book folks like me to come in on a Thursday evening in Nowheresville, college town, and give the kids something fun to do besides watch more Netflix. So after the show, I'm signing autographs and the the students are going, man, I can't even imagine doing what you do. I, I don't know how the tricks work, but I also don't know how in the world you make a living. Like, <laughs> so you get paid just traveling around, right? So it was talking to them about how I had gotten to be a full-time entertainer. And then a year or two later, start getting emails back saying, hey, thanks for taking that 15 minutes to talk to me after the show. Made all the difference in the world. Here are the changes I made. And that's when I really started to realize that the psychological techniques I use on stage are exactly the same methods of influence that I've used on myself because I grew up in the mountains, North Carolina in a trailer on a dirt road, literally like that's, that's not just a cute story. I really grew up in a single wide trailer in a quarter mile dirt road development. And now I do what I do. So that's not, I wasn't born into it. My parents, my dad worked in a factory my whole childhood. So it wasn't like I, I was handed the playbook. So being able to get to where I am going, oh, okay, it makes sense to me because it's what I've lived through, but not everybody's lived through what I did. So this has value beyond just distracting an audience for an hour. The The ways I think about things really help people out and are crazy effective. So, okay. Then I started looking into running businesses and, and that kind of things. Like as a performer, it's show business. Everybody focuses on the show and everybody ignores the business side of it. So I started looking into business books and courses and all these business gurus were talking about the psychology of this or that or the other thing. And I was like, wait a minute, none of these guys can stand in front of 3,000 people and convince them that they could read minds through just the, the use of applied psychology and showmanship. Nobody can. Wait a minute. I'm going to eat their lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was a, a big part of the transition from realizing businesses make the world a better place. They create more value than they consume, and it is a profoundly creative endeavor. The CEO takes all the risk to build these jobs that employ people to be able to feed their families and, and grow up, right? So a business is the best way to help the most people. Now, if I can help a business be more effective at helping their clients, every employee benefits, every client benefits, all of those clients' clients benefit. The, the effect is is kind of fractal you help this one company and then everybody from that point forward that works there and interacts with that company is better off for it so there's no better way for me to spend my time than to teach companies how to be better communicators to reduce friction to reduce wasted time and energy to be more effective in their marketing at trade shows when those were a thing Right. So there's there's no place in a business where communication couldn't help. 
So that's why, to me, it's the the best way to do the most good with the limited time I have on this planet. No, that's 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 awesome, and and that was actually going to lead on to my next question, which was what are you know some of the most common business functions where you're going in to help with things? Obviously, you know, applied psychology, exactly as you say, can can benefit businesses across a multiple. Uh, you know, different areas and, and and different types of people as well. But what are some of the common ones where you're asked to kind of go in to make a difference? Let's see. One of the one of the biggest ways is at trade shows. Uh, I know that they've kind of been on a hiatus for a while, but they are a way of getting a year's worth of business leads in three or four days. And when you run the numbers, you might have you might have three or four salespeople. And then that salesperson might be able to have four good quality conversations in an hour. A lot of false starts, a lot of false leads, that that kind of thing. So every hour that the trade show floor is open, you've got about 16 leads out of that hour. So you can just kind of run the algebra there. So then when they bring me in, I set up shop. I take up three feet by three feet of the booth. And then in the months leading up to the trade show, I'm working with their marketing department, their sales department to really understand, okay, what are the three things that you need your ideal clients to know, remember, or think about you in order to understand that they're a perfect client? So we go through and and build that out. Then I, I custom script a 12-minute mini show that delivers those three marketing messages in a fun way that the audience can't forget. So I use my old circus skills of juggling and being the outside talker of, hey, Barbara, good to see you. You want to win a hundred bucks? Come on over. We're just getting ready to start. Oh yeah, Carl, don't be shy. Come on over. So now we build an audience of 30 people on the show floor. I do my 12 minute shtick and then say, and now you understand what makes Widget Co. so amazing. And if you want to find out more, go talk to Carl over here. And now they've got a ton of pre-qualified leads in 12 minutes. And then we do that twice an hour. So their lead volume goes up three, four times versus their best strategy of having, oh, their most outgoing salesperson, he's a chuckle a minute. He'll get people in the booth. So being a lead generator in in the trade show booth is huge and then i also come in do two-day training workshops on influence skills sales uh, kind of beginner and advanced and negotiation sales processes the the whole nine yards and also companies that invest in communication skills training for their research and development engineers is massively helpful. So the the team I, I've got, they one of the, the guys on there went into craft foods and taught the researchers how to communicate and sell their ideas upwards from within the the company. Because this researcher might discover something that is incredibly valuable might make the company millions of dollars, might save the company millions of dollars. But if this engineer understands the technical side and can only communicate with precise engineer language, that's very difficult to communicate to somebody who doesn't have that technical expertise 
what that innovation means for the company. So it might be blindingly obvious to the engineer, oh, we got to do more of this samaflange. Like, oh, okay, no, we have to do the samaflange. Well, no, we're, we're not going to do that. If he had led with, oh, yeah, this will make us $7 billion in three years if we do this one thing, and here's how it happens. Oh, yeah, okay, let's do that yesterday. Right. So, so good business is nothing but good communication. And it's not just for client facing like, positions. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, it's such a fantastic example. And I, th I think having your own team able to communicate internally and especially like exactly as you said, those complex ideas in a, in a concise and clear way to people, uh, it just streamlines absolutely everything. I mean, it's very, very similar to, you know, our product, which is very, very technical and, and having to communicate that to everybody involved, both internally and externally, um, mm -hmm. how it works and what it does. Um, what, what are, I mean, when you go into, say, you know, your, your average organization, what, what are some things that you see across multiple different businesses, which are quite commonplace that you, you end up trying to fix from a, a kind of communication standpoint, do you think? Um, oh, man, that's a that's a tough one. Because there, how insider baseball do you want me to get? <laughs> Let, let's get really into the weeds here. <laughs> All right, because oftentimes when things are going well, there's no reason to fix it. And many companies luck into doing it the right way by virtue of having awesome leadership. And most of the time, if there's a, a culture mismanagement or a culture misalignment or there are fundamental problems, it's almost always the result of poor leadership. But it's really difficult for people who have risen to the level of authority to be in leadership to – it's real tough for – for a lot of leaders to accept the responsibility of proactively guiding the internal culture. So many times, man, the, the consultant is brought in as a scapegoat and a sacrificial lamb to fix something in a day that is the result of years of, ineffective leadership. So they're the, the wonderful clients are the ones who are like, Hey, we're doing great things and we want to, you know, keep our acts sharp. So we proactively provide, uh, education. And even if it's just reinforcement for the old dogs, we still want to have fresh perspectives on this. Those are awesome, awesome opportunities. I'm like, yeah, let's do more of that. The problem is most companies that get to the point where they're going to hire a consultant are trying to solve massive communication issues from the inside. And then they think, oh, we'll bring in this Jonathan guy who's a high high paid con like communication consultant. He'll fix it in an afternoon without buy-in from the higher-ups. Right. So, I mean, I've my first job out of out of college like job job was working at a magic shop at a, at a, at universal studios in Orlando. Right. And it was awesome job. But one of the, the other magic demonstrators was stealing my sales. 
Like I straight up watched him put in his identity code, like his personal code when he was checking out somebody who said, oh yeah, Jonathan showed me that trick. It was really great. And then I watched him put in his code so that he would get that, that sale. Oh, brought man. it up with, brought it up with the owner of the company. He's like, we can't fire him. He's our best salesperson. It's like, no wonder he's your best salesperson because he's stealing from everybody else. <laughs> Sorry, we just can't afford to to fire him. So I quit that day. I was like, nope, I'm out. So it was a crazy lucrative job. It was impressive how much money you could make selling magic tricks to tourists. But it wasn't worth it for me to keep making money for him when he wasn't going to reinforce the integrity of the organization and I left. So there's, there's just all sorts of, of ways that if leadership is not on board with realigning the communication, no amount of consultants is ever going to, to fix it. So you aren't going to really solve any issues. You can give it your best shot as the consultant come in and go, Here's the way that the world's best and most effective people and organizations do things. Here's the pattern. Here's the recipe. Go bake it yourself. And they're going, eh, that's not how we do it here. Okay, I tried. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I think uh, certainly when I was training in, in healthcare, um, and obviously in healthcare, communication skills are just so important, um, you know, communicating anything to patients, whether it's something complex about their disease or explaining an operation or even, you know, just building empathy with them um, if you've seen them in a clinic. And the way that we were always sort of trained was actually using um, these kind of standardized actors who pretend to be patients. And then you had to kind of, you know, you work through some scenarios and then you had a, a communication skills tutor sort of critiquing you and, and your peers critiquing you. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in something like healthcare where it's, it's very, very stressful, I think I'm right in saying around about 70% of complaints against doctors and nurses are, are, you know, somehow linked to poor communication skills. Um, what, what do you think, you know, everyone's obviously a little bit different, but do you have any kind of top tips of if, if someone perhaps isn't the best communicator, how they could kind of get started improving their own communication? A big part of it is accepting that you're not good at it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> think, think of it in terms of social media marketing. That is a huge industry. Millions and millions of dollars spent on social media marketing. And then my mom goes, Jonathan, I can post to Facebook. I don't understand why this is a big business. There's a big difference between using a tool and then being a master craftsman with it. So the fact that you can say words and then get people to do what you want them to do doesn't mean that you're a phenomenal communicator. So accepting, you know, maybe I'm not so good at this as I, I might have thought. Having a high degree of education doesn't mean that you're a great communicator. Having credentials doesn't mean that you're a great communicator. Being paid a lot of money doesn't mean you're a great communicator. And the second piece is accepting that it's going to take time, not just to build your own skill set, but to truly understand and to connect with somebody takes a lot longer than you might think. And if, and a lot of doctors are poor communicators because their daily structure doesn't allow them the time 
to be good communicators. They're so overscheduled, so overbooked that they literally don't have a spare moment to genuinely just be human. So the the focus then is getting through the rounds and I've got this many clients. I don't have time for chit chat. That is useless. It is a waste of my time and I got more people to help. And that's how you get sued for malpractice just for right. being mean. He didn't take my feeling. He hurt my feelings, right? So most of the problems that you're going to experience are growing out of not having time to address the problem before it's a problem. So that's that's a fundamental structural thing that the the brusque communication is one the result of not great communication skills but also two a symptom or a downstream issue from a more fundamental problem of overbooking and scheduling and and those kinds of systems of how the that clinic or whatever is run. So many times poor communication is, is the result of more fundamental issues, but it's communication is where it's going to show up. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely spot on. I think in in any environment where it's um, the the employees are, are going to be kind of you know rushing around or, or in particularly stressful environments, it, it is quite counterintuitive because you know in those environments actually communication is so vital, especially inter team communication um, if you're operating or if you're uh, in an emergency setting. And and so I think you know we, we were always taught you know make sure you always pay attention to your teammates, make sure you're always calm and collected, but that, that is easier said than done in some of those environments. Um, from, from your background, um, I guess, as a mentalist, and you know, you, you've been on TV shows and, and on stage in, in Vegas and, and you know, done some amazing stuff. Um, and, and this is from my kind of lay person's understanding of, of how it works, <laughs> which is, you know, a, a lot of it is sort of, I suppose, body language and subtle communication that you might be picking up on that, that others aren't. Um, and correct me if I'm completely wrong on that, but I was wondering how you could kind of, uh, you know, bring in body language cues when, you know, body language is, is such a big component of human communication. Yes. I, I will correct you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, which is, um, man, we, we can really get into the weeds here. There, there's no universal, emotional display. There's no single human expression that means the same thing, regardless of time, context, or culture. The displays of your thinking are contextually relevant. And since there are no universal smile always means happy, then there's no way that body language reading is applicable in all situations. So the Sherlock Holmes, I can look at you and you looked up and to the left. So that way I know that you're imagining a memory and trying to come up with a convincing lie that fits your historical context because left means past, up means imagination. So you're imagining and trying to come up with something. But if you had looked down into the right, the right would be the future. And you're trying to check your feelings of how all of that sounds good, but it's made up nonsense. It really, really is. So there's nobody on the planet who can just walk up to a complete stranger 
say, because you're standing more on your right foot, this means that it's all cold reader, tarot card reader, hokum is really what that is. What you can do is understand a baseline context of behavior, then notice deviations from that normal. So within the context of my 70-minute pure entertainment show, I've been in that thousand times. So I've had a thousand times more hours than the audience member who's watching this for the first time. So I have a thousand to one advantage over that person. And over those thousand data points, I've seen the statistical distribution of most common behavior. So there are three of the most common responses and two outliers that I've only seen a couple times, but I but they've been repeated. So within the framework of my show, I now know that this particular person is probably going to respond in any one of these three ways with two, maybe one in a thousands. The first time it happens, it's a surprise to me and I'm in the moment and I just have enough flight time where I could just play with it and be like, well, that didn't work. Thanks. Wow, that was, <laughs> they, it's hard to surprise the mind reader, but you did it. Give her a nice hand, everybody. Then afterwards, I'm in the hotel and go, that's never going to happen again. So what am I going to say when the next time that happens? <laughs> So then the next time it happens, boom, I've got my answer. And everybody goes, oh, my God, Jonathan, he is just so quick. He is so witty. It's just that I've been in that situation a, a million times. So the body language shows up, but it's more about being able to read how comfortable somebody is in the audience and comfortable with the idea of maybe coming up on stage in front of 3,000 people. So that kind of body language you can definitely read, but it in no way will give me special insight into what they had for breakfast in the morning. So, so every trick, think of it as an effect that you want to help your audience experience. So in the sales process, the effect is they sign on the dotted line. That's the intended outcome. So now you work backwards to engineer what exactly would need to happen in order for that to be the logical conclusion. So here's, here's the secret to every magic trick, every mind reading trick you'll ever see. And it's exactly the same pattern as sales, negotiation, communication, asking somebody to date you. It doesn't matter except for the lying part. So the magician or mentalist creates a context through the time of day, their, their location, body language, tone of voice, things that they say, things they don't say, the things they do, the things they don't do. All of that creates a context for the audience to make logical assumptions about what's happening, what they saw, what they think is going to happen. All those logical assumptions are perfectly in alignment with the experience that they've just witnessed then they're later shown to not be true. Hey, look at that tiger. You thought that box was empty. Now there's a tiger in it. Ta-da. That's the magic effect. In order for the perfectly logical assumptions to be exactly wrong, takes Olympic level communication skills to get correct. 
because every single piece of the communication puzzle needs to be fit together exactly right. Otherwise, there's no magic trick. So setting proper expectations, then exceeding them is what you want in a business context. You don't want to lie to your, your clients that it's surprise and delight, not lie and cheat, <laughs> right? So, so you as the communicator are setting a context for the person you're trying to communicate with to experience your message. And they're going to make logical assumptions based off of that context and communication. Then you want to fulfill those expectations and exceed them if you want it to be a good experience. But what happens is in a sales process that goes south, you've said what you said within this context. Your client makes logical assumptions that are not true, but perfectly logical based off of their framework of how they're connecting to your message. So you could have said the exact right thing, but they heard it in exactly the wrong way that made total sense to them. And you've got to be able to understand that that's what's happening. So it's not just you saying whatever you want to say. It's being actively engaged, checking with them to check their understanding. And then once you both understand that you both understand what's going on, then you can move on to the next thing. But communication is not just, I say a whole bunch of things and then the magic tricks happen. It's more of a, a collaborative experience that you've engineered and perfected the skills required to help it to help make it happen. But the audience is bringing a lot to the table as well. And you've got to know how to work with them, not against them, not at cross purposes, not misunderstanding each other faster through email, all that kind of thing. So that's why learning to lie as a magician within the context of showing your friends cool tricks is the best context for you to understand communication is really hard, right? Because that's what I learned as a kid. I learned these lessons when I was six and seven years old because I would go to the magic book. I would read the recipe for here's how to do the magic trick. You're going to need a deck of cards, two volunteers, and here's what you do with it. All right. Now I go, I get mom and dad. I got a deck of cards. Here's what I did with it. And my dad would go, hey, Jonathan, that was great. That was fun. I, I saw you do the thing with the move and the stuff. And I was doing the right things. I was saying the right things. I was doing them at the right time, but I wasn't doing them the right way. And the right way is in active engagement with, with your audience. So you could say the right things. You could do the right things. You could do them at the right time. But if it's not done in the right way, there's no effect. There's no sale. There's no successful negotiation. There's no successful date. There's right. So it's it's all about understanding how to have an ongoing conversation with your audience, your client, your managers, your boss, your wife, your husband, yourself, your problems, your relationships to your resources. It's all relationships predicated by communication skills first with yourself then externally with the world and it, i mean it's fascinating just hearing you describe that because i think a lot of the components that go into what you're describing obviously you know people take for granted when they watch a uh, you know a show or, or you know they come and uh, you know see you live um where there's a huge amount of preparation that's gone on beforehand and and you're also using a lot of data like in quite a scientific way actually to to train yourself up through that whole process 
and and then it's that sort of you know iceberg analogy where you've just got the small piece on top which is the show right um and and that that's that you know that's very similar to you know sales where you've got to do a lot of uh, hours and, and and do your preparation or any any customers or or you know for for medical professionals as well where you do your you know five to six years of medical school and then you then you start practicing so absolutely fascinating um what one question I'd, I'd love to ask you actually is obviously with the current environment and covid how have you seen that sort of affect things like communication skills and rapport and, and everything that you do massively massively because we human beings like interpersonal relationships. We love being social. And most of our socializing throughout all of human history has been handshake distance apart from each other. And I can see you. I can see if you're uncomfortable and or if you're looking at your watch or if you're trying to find somebody better in the room to connect with because I can't I can't offer you anything. So you need the bigger fish where who's more important in this room. And I can see that and be like, boy, this guy's a jerk. So in person is about as easy time as you're going to get. And a lot of companies like manufacturing companies and, and construction and kind of more old school handshake word of mouth network sales has been completely wiped out since this spring because those trade shows evaporated overnight. And that trade show was their best way of getting new leads for their business for the next two years. So now the video conferencing has catapulted the timeline at least five, 10 years worth of adoption curve, forcing these I don't rely on technology. I rely on a handshake and looking you in the eye. Companies to only be able to do business virtually. And looking at a camera is a really, really weird, uncomfortable, unnatural experience. And the first time going out for television and there are all these cameras around, it's it's uncomfortable, man. Like it, it's not an easy skill and now everybody's having to learn that skill of looking at a webcam and making it feel like you're connecting with another human being. And that is a phenomenally difficult, phenomenally difficult thing to do. And now everybody's having to do it from, do I, do I look down at my laptop? Is my laptop on my lap? And now every time I jiggle my legs, the, the video's shaking everywhere. And how comfortable is that for my, my audience? Is the camera below eye level? And now it looks like I'm looking down, like I'm judging the person I'm talking to, right? How's the lighting? The, your lighting, so I'm looking at your video right now. You've got a window behind you, but the, the shades are drawn. So many people have the windows wide open and the sun's coming through and now the webcam can't handle it. And it looks like they're in the, the witness protection plan. They're <laughs> just this, this silhouette with a beautiful view of the trees outside, but I can't see the person I'm talking to. So there are all these technical elements that have to be managed properly in order to free you up, to feel like you're connecting with the other person on the other side of the camera from lighting to webcam placement, to managing your apps, to limiting distractions and being able to close out the temptation of email so that you're not talking and then kind of go, 
oh, 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 I just got an email. Let me just answer that. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's good. He can't see me looking away. Oh, yeah, we can. We're really good at knowing where <laughs> sight lines are. So you have to ma- you have to master the the technical elements before you can get to the expression part of communication. And now so many people have zero, zero clue that they're just bungling it so hard through video conferencing. And if that's how you make your sales, well, then you are actively stealing from yourself, losing business because you don't know how to communicate through webcam. Like, all right, enjoy losing your commission because you didn't close the sale because you might have the better solution. You might be a better equipped company to solve that problem. But a guy like me who can create rapport over video, you're going to lose to me every time. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. I think it's something that companies and, and everyone, and, and again, I'll use the healthcare analogy, having to speak to patients and diagnose them and build rapport remotely is, is hugely challenging. And I think those are some fantastic tips um, you've just given everyone listening. Um, just as we kind of start to, to wrap up here, Jonathan, I could probably talk to you about psychology all day, every day, um, but but I won't put our listeners through that. So just as we as we start to wrap up, um, we always sort of ask people for a, a human performance hero. So I'd be fascinated to hear who who yours is. Let's see. One of the 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 name that popped up immediately is a, a guy I don't think about very often, but he left a huge impression on me. And I was working with a, a friend of mine as a tour manager, and he was creating a YouTube show of kind of stupid human tricks and bar bets so you could win free drinks from your friends and, and that kind of silly magic tricks kind of thing. And we went to go meet a friend of his to do an episode on him. His name is Dennis Rogers, pound for pound, proportionately the strongest man in the world. He's not a big imposing person, but the things he can do are unbelievable. And if I hadn't been standing in the room watching it happen, I would think you're making stuff up because I watched him take a hammer and bend it into a horseshoe shape. And then he gave it to me. (laughs) That, That hammer is on my bookshelf and I see it every day. And he is a phenomenal example that your human body and mind can achieve things that uh, other people will look impossible. If you can really focus and dedicate your life to that one thing, you're going to get real good at it. Even if it's being able to bend metal with your hands, he could roll up a frying pan. He can keep airplanes from taking off because he's holding them back. Like, that's the kind of thing that he can do because of who he is and what he's trained to become. So he he's just an absolute inspiration and a marvel of a human being. Wow, what a, what a fantastic example. And um, I mean, I think it, it, exactly as you sort of summarize that, I think it just goes to show you know, what, what you can do if you if you ignore people telling you things are impossible and, and really just go for it. Um, I, again, there's been such fantastic conversation. I know that people will sort of want to reach out to you. Um, I um, I actually picked up a couple of your books, uh, which I'm, I'm going to enjoy Thank reading you. actually um, on the back of this podcast. Um, 
uh, which look amazing. And you yourself have got your own podcast. So it'd be great if you could sort of um, explain to all the listeners, you know, how they can kind of connect with you and, and uh, you know, some of the channels that you're on. Let's see. Thank you very much. I appreciate you picking up the books. I, I really do. Um, so yeah, the mindreaderuniversity.com is probably the best place to connect with me because over the years, enough people were asking me, hey, did you go to college for mind reading? And have to say, no, there's no university for mind reading. I went, you know what? I'll just make it. <laughs> so I created Mind Reader University, which is where I share all of my my books, my courses. And also I, I do have my own podcast where I pick the brains of the world's biggest thinkers. So I, I just try to find interesting people and and share how they think about the world to give folks new ways to approach their own problems. So that's the hub. And from there, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. So it's the underscore Pritchard. So I know that's difficult to spell. So that's why I go to mindreaduniversity.com and then you'll find all my social channels. And, and I genuinely hope to, to hear from everybody. 